Hi, this is Alana, and you are listening to the Praying Christian Women podcast. How's it going, Jamie? It's going. How are you? Good. What's something new and exciting over in your neck of Alaska? Well, it's spring. Spring has finally sprung. So it's like we've been spending a lot of time outside. The dog has gone from like going outside and going to the bathroom real quick and coming back inside uh-huh. to like assuming we're going on walks every day, like oh. around the <laughs> neighborhood. And so, uh-huh. which we could have done and we did do sometimes during the winter, but just, we've been doing a lot more of that. So he's come to expect it now, which is, you know, just fine. Cause it's really pretty out. Gets you out and about. Yeah. yeah. And great. he just turned one. He just celebrated his first birthday on the 23rd yeah. of April. Happy birthday to Archie. Yeah. He's so cute. Yep. He's, he's huge, but not as huge as your puppy. So that means it's been over a year since I've seen you because you didn't have Archie when I saw you last. Well, gee, that's a downer. I know he like was born. Had, you should that's be right. Oh, what a bummer. Like it, we've right. had a couple of maybes like that, that we kind of were going to get together and didn't work. So <laughs> we'll have to make it happen. I'm, I'm coming over. We will end this recording. I will hop in the car and we will resume recording in about four and a half hours. And you're, can you imagine both of us in your itty bitty office? Trying That's to right. We've done it before. Remember Have when you came know. here? It's less itty bitty now because my husband did a great job of kind of organizing it because before I was oriented to where like there was a wall about this far, you know, like just right on either side of me. But now it's a little bit more open. So I think we could both uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, we'll do it. We'll yeah. do it. Might not be today. <laughs> well, we're excited about a coffee break episode. It's been a little while since we've done one of these. So our coffee break episodes are questions that listeners like you send to us. So if you have a coffee break question or a topic of prayer that you would love for us to dive into deeper, you can submit your topic requests at prayingchristianwomen.com slash questions. And I think today's going to be a great discussion. I think so too. Um, Griselda sent us a question. I'll just throw it out there. Um, her question is, how do we as the church help our family and our community with mental illness and addictions? And she puts especially mental illness and, um, it's a topic that we've had guests on the podcast to talk about. We've mentioned it in passing many times, but we haven't really ever had, we've, we have been talking recently about how we felt like there was a need for a discussion about this and about how do you know, even like, what is the role of prayer? How do you know if, if prayer alone is sufficient or if you need counseling or medication, how do you know the difference and, and just all of the things surrounding that. So we thought this question was a great launch pad for all of those questions. Absolutely. And before we pray for our show, very, very obvious disclaimers that Jamie and I aren't medical professionals or counselors or therapists. We're not pastors or theologians. We are two ladies with hearts for prayer. And so please take everything we say as it's intended for, which is just kind of Jamie and me talking about some of these hard issues and not as medical advice or therapy or anything like that. So that caveat out of the way, should we open up in prayer? Yeah. God, we just thank you for this time to talk about the important topic of mental illness and addiction and prayer. And just what is the role of prayer? What is the role of, of us as the body of Christ to help our family, our friends, our community, 
um, and ourselves in these struggles that we face. We just pray now, God, that your anointing would be on us, that your Holy Spirit would be present, that you would just guide and direct us into the topics that women need to hear about, and that you would just protect this time, allow it to be a time where we are rooted in scripture and truth and love, and um, that you would just bring wisdom as we discuss these topics. Um, And I do lift up anyone struggling with addiction or mental illness in their own life or in their lives of their family and friends and, and church and community in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Do you want to start with the addiction since that seems to be kind of the, uh, the first piece of the question and then we yeah. can talk about mental health in broader terms. Yeah. Cause I mean, there are times when, when those things go hand in hand, when addiction comes from a struggle that of, of not being able to feel like you can manage or, mm-hmm. um, or it could be a completely separate thing, but I think the two are, you know, definitely two really important topics to cover. Yeah. So, well, and I don't want to discount the power of God and the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, but there are also factors like your genetic disposition and your brain chemistry and all of these things. So I feel like if you're not somebody who has personally struggled with addiction, it's important to remind yourself that you don't know what that struggle is like. God does, but you don't, because I think the the very easiest go-to is, well, pray and God will give you victory over any temptation you face because scripture is clear that no temptation has come to us except that which is common to man. And it's also very clear that when temptation does come, that God is faithful, he's going to give us a way out of that temptation. I'm 99% sure that's from James. Do you know if I'm quoting or referencing that right? You're going to look it up. <laughs> I, you know what? I used to sing it. So I was in we'll Bible it, study fellowship and I was, yeah, I, I remember I sang sing that verse, but, but you want me to sing? No yeah. temptation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can oh. bear. <laughs> James, something, something. I thought it was first, first Corinthians 10, 13, but I don't know if that's right. That was, I might be getting my songs mixed up. You're mixing them up. Well, everybody in listening land is applauding you. That was beautiful. Thank you. Hey, it's right. First Corinthians 10, 13. Oh, you were so right. I was so wrong. I didn't, I kind of botched the verse and the song, but the, but I, I retained that reference. (laughs) What did the kids and I do? We learned a Bible passage to the Darth Vader theme song. Oh, oh but I can't remember dun, what it is. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I can't dun. remember what it is right now. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's that's a way to like engage them in a in an external way, you know, that they already uh-huh. like. Right. Um. Well, as you're talking about the the no temptation, also, I, I mean, I think that's an important question. Is do you look at? I think there's a difference. So. If you're looking at someone uh, with an addiction, if you look at it as, well, if they make a poor choice, now there may be some poor choices that led to the addiction Mm -hmm. and things that they could have gotten out of. But once it becomes an addiction, my opinion, this is not gospel or anything else, but it's a disease. It's, it's a, an illness 
and that when you that that there is an element of um, being enslaved to that uh, that addiction, mm-hmm. that sometimes the you know like it it I think moves from there's a point and and I don't know if we can calculate that point where it goes from making poor choices and temptations that you can get out of because God provides you the opportunity and I think it moves into an illness, a physical dependency, a chemical dependency mm-hmm. from which the passage, it, it I, th- I don't, I don't know if you would be able to categorize it as entering into sin because I don't, and, and I'm not, I, I don't know. It's a very, very murky area, but there's an element of chemical dependency and illness that is apart from choice at some point when you get deep into addiction. Do you agree? I, I, I don't know. That's my opinion. I don't vehemently disagree 180 degrees for sure. Right. Because, you know, there, there is this sense of like, so before you, you got me distracted with your beautiful singing, I was <laughs> like, <laughs> I was thinking about this in terms of like some people who have never had first or secondhand experience, they're going to look at some of these Bible verses And they are going to say a saved Christian will never be actually addicted. They are going to always have power over sin. They are always going to have power to say no to sin. Anecdotally, though, I know that that is not everybody's experience. I've heard amazing testimonies of people who were saved out of addiction, where it was God turned off the light switch. They prayed, the desire was gone, the temptations were gone, the chemical addiction was gone, and they were completely uh, delivered out of that in a very dramatic, miraculous way. But I've also heard testimonies of believers who are saved in a state of addiction, who struggle with that addiction for the rest of their lives. And it's one of those areas where I want to wag my finger at God. And I want to say, I either want to say, God, that's not fair. Or I want to blame that person and say, well, you just didn't try hard enough. You didn't pray hard enough, but that's also, you know, that's not the right response either. So I think what you're saying is probably what I'm saying. Here's how I would say it. I would say that on the strictly theoretical level, the Bible says Christians do have power over every sin and every temptation on a more experiential anecdotal. Some people are going to struggle with that addiction, maybe for as long as they are in their earthly body. I think it stinks. I think I do. There is a big part of me that wants to wag my finger at the Lord and say, God, that's not fair. But I don't know how else to kind of reconcile those two kind of opposite realities. No. And I think it's important to acknowledge when we can't and that we, that we can't uh, necessarily break it down into, Mm -hmm. okay, this is theologically what we know to be true versus what we, yeah, that we may not be able to answer that question. But what we do know is that no matter what the situation is, that as the body of Christ, we need to engage with love above all else. Mm -hmm. And as a person struggling, I mean, I think of Paul's thorn in his flesh that 
you know, I don't know what it was. I, I mean, I assume that because it was in his flesh that maybe it was a physical thing, but you know, that he asked God to remove it three times over. Um, and, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so, you know, I know that I, I don't know if addiction falls in that category because maybe it's because in the very beginning, it begins with, with choices that, that should have not been made to engage with substances in a way that is not glorifying to God. Maybe that, that takes it out of that category, but either way, the truth in it, if you are one of the people struggling with addiction is God's power is made perfect in weakness. So whatever happened in the past, there's no condemnation. If you're a believer now and you are struggling, there is no condemnation. So we need to, you know, fix, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward. Even if you fall, even if you fall 70 times seven, you get back up and keep moving forward again if you've never experienced addiction, that's really easy to say. So, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the encouragement we can take from that is though, number one, as someone engaging with someone with addiction, love needs to be number one as someone who is addicted, uh, no condemnation, moving forward, striving for as to be like Jesus. I think yeah. Maybe. Well, and I just want to throw out one other scenario. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, yeah, an argument can be made. If you made a volitional choice to engage in behaviors that leads to an addiction, then yeah, there's there's definitely some responsibility there. But there are also times that I could see in the hypothetical, um, like when somebody is in a terrible car accident and they end up getting addicted to their painkillers. Yeah, you know, nobody that's a made, totally different situation. Nobody made yeah. a choice no. <laughs> uh, to do that or... Um, you know, when, when a, a kid is given something and they don't even know what it is Ugh. and then boom, they're, they're addicted yeah. or, or things. And yeah. that's another question that gets us into tricky territory is how accountable are you? I mean, the Bible is clear. We're accountable for our behavior. If I am addicted to the point where I come into your house, if I'm addicted to coffee to the point where I come into your house and steal all of your coffee, <laughs> then, then I'm responsible for that, yeah. but some people are going to look at my behavior and say, well, it wasn't her doing that. It was the addiction driving her to do things that she wouldn't do if she weren't addicted, which is also true. So that's another area where we still have personal accountability before God and before others, yeah. but there also is this sense of in the very extreme cases where you do you act in ways that you wouldn't if it weren't for the addiction. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it's one of those balancing acts of, of you've got to balance the two and it's so hard to know how to do that. Well, which leads to the question, how can we as a church support someone suffering through addiction? And um, I mean, I don't know. I think there are all kinds of, ways to look at it. I, I think it might be a little bit too much to go into the details of how to engage in on a personal level mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. someone that's close to you, because I don't, I personally don't feel qualified to go into that because it's very complicated, but in, in terms of the church, how do we as a church support people that are suffering with addiction, struggling with addiction? Um, you know, I mean, what are the, 
what are, what are the layers of things yeah. that the church can do? I think definitely there's a layer of compassion, you know, truly every single one of us has been enslaved to some kind of sin. Now that doesn't mean that it's the, you know, heroin addiction or something that we think of when we think about, you know, big sin addictions, but there have always been times for every believer's life where they want to stop doing something, but it's, it's so habitual that they don't. There are also some like, I've got an addiction to coffee. I didn't have a strong cup the other morning and got myself a headache and couldn't function till I got that other cup. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we all have certain things and I'm not saying that coffee is sinful, but I think that if we were, if we can start from a place of grace and compassion, that's going to take us so much farther than to start from this kind of us versus them, or, you know, what did you do to put yourself in this situation where now you're in this terrible mess, but just remembering, yeah, it might not be the same kind of struggle. I've never struggled with alcoholism, but I sure know what it's like to be a glutton. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, we can make parallels in our own lives in the things that you personally struggle with. And I think that that can help us to remember that sin is sin, right? Mm-hmm. My gluttony isn't worse or better or nicer than somebody else's, you know, addiction to street drugs. It's all sin. It's all damaging to your body. And so starting from a place of compassion and finding the common grounds, right? I don't know what it's like to be addicted to X, Y, or Z, but I do know what it's like to struggle with shame and to feel like I'm not in control of my choices. That's, I think, a, a good place to start. I agree. Um, do you think that, what do you think the church is doing well in supporting those that are struggling with addiction? Do you... I'm not super familiar with everything. I mean, I know of people who go through something like, um, you know, any of those 12 step programs. And I know that they're designed in a way that does uh, involve, you know, a a spiritual level. So I, I feel like churches who, who offer those types of things are probably doing great, but actually I'm not familiar enough with first or secondhand experience to know that super well. Yeah, I do. I have a few friends that have gone through Celebrate Recovery, mm-hmm. which That's is the program I have heard of. Yeah, I think it's a Christian. I know it. Yes. it's in churches. So I think yeah. it's a Christian group and have wonderful things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a couple of people that have gone through AA mm-hmm. and, you know, all are very, um, they're believers in mm-hmm. the system and the program yeah. and just that whole idea of community. And so mm-hmm. I feel like when things like that happen in the church, it's an extension of the church with a capital C it's body of believers surrounding, you know, I, it's like the many members of a body, because a lot of times in those groups, the leaders are people who have been through the system, you know, been mm-hmm. through that, that process themselves and are then giving to others and like welcoming them in and helping to kind of shepherd them along their journey. It's a form of discipleship, I believe. And right. you know, I think right. some people are really gifted at mm-hmm. that. And I just heard a sermon last week um, from a guy that had gone through who a guy that was helping with a recovery group when he himself had not ever been addicted to anything Mm -hmm. and yet was just loving people and 
giving them rides to their meetings and, and being mm-hmm. a support and praying for them. Um, so I think those kinds of things when they're done in the church are done well. I mean, I could also see the other side of it though, being that there are some parts of the body of Christ, you know, some facets or corners where maybe there is that judgmental attitude and kind of an mm-hmm. us versus them. If you don't look a yeah. certain way, if you have mm-hmm. a certain history that you're yeah. not good enough to be part of. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's, those are the areas that, that probably could use improvement. Yeah. But, you know, just to kind of play the devil's advocate, like, let's say that you are part of a church with a big campus. And so your church building has a preschool and an elementary school and a mom's group, and they meet regularly. And they're like, well, let's start this halfway house for former addicts, right? Like there's, there's going to be a, oh, not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. And again, like you're saying, we need to just be, we need to stop with that. You know, there are, there are some sins that us respectable Christians deal with. You know, I can sit here and and joke about my coffee because coffee is respectable and, (laughs) you know, and, Mm. and I can be a gossip and I can be lazy, but, oh, don't, don't make me, you know, brush shoulders with somebody who does, you know, street drugs, because that's, you know, that might get me tainted or something. We need to, just be very careful against those kinds of mentalities. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time, I feel like there are, I don't think every single church has to take that mantle upon themselves as mm-hmm. the, the recovery church. I mean, I think definitely, mm-hmm. how should I put this? Cause I, I think every single church needs to be a place for the sick. It needs to be a place right. to welcome everyone. But in terms of whether or not your particular church feels called to mm-hmm. be the, uh, make that a huge part of their I church. I don't, I don't know that every church is called to that. And it could be that, uh, you know, I don't think there should be guilt there, but as mm-hmm. members, each one of us of the body of the, of, of Christ, of the church with a capital C, you know, we need to be safe, pl- safe places and safe people, right. I think for and- people that are struggling. Yeah. And in addition, I think that the church and the church leadership need to know when something is above their pay grade. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, that's why it's nice. Like in in a city like Anchorage, every single little church with 30 members probably doesn't need to have a pastor trained in in addiction recovery and yeah. in how to lead a um, what's called when you have that sit down meeting with like somebody. Intervention. And, yeah. But it, they, they should know who can refer people to. And I think that that's an important reminder as well. So as an example, like every so often you and I get notes, you know, emails from listeners and, and we're really careful. We, we recognize when this is beyond us, right? Like if somebody emails us and their situation isn't, they need some encouragement and some prayers, but they, you know, like they need medical help or, or something, we're going to make sure that they know. And I think that that's something that the church should be aware of too, is to know when something is outside of your expertise now. Yeah. In like a crisis situation, you're the only one there and God's calling on you. Like I could do CPR on somebody, you know, if I was the only buddy there, I could figure it out. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to stand at the clinic and offer CPR to anybody who needs it. Cause I don't have that training and expertise. Yeah. Well, and that leads us to kind of the question of, 
is this, you know, how do I know when I can go to a church or a Christian friend and just get prayer or Mm -hmm. when there is a need to be referred? And I really want to preface the whole discussion on, you know, I think you could word it like, well, when is prayer not enough? And I think that's a bad way to word it. Mm -hmm. I don't know though, because I mean, like prayer's not enough when I've got a bullet in my chest and I'm bleeding out. Prayer's not enough. Right. You know, so no, I guess so. Yeah. I guess I, I I see. So like when my husband worked at a foster care industry, he, he was kind of the liaison for foster parents mm -hmm. and they would go through, they called it mental health first aid. And basically it was like crisis intervention. What do you do Mm -hmm. in this scenario and that scenario? But I like the way they word it because it is like, sometimes you need that first aid. Sometimes it is a medical event, which I'm going to be totally comfortable going on record saying that requires medical experts. Right. And so I think to look at it as instead of say, instead of looking at prayer as the first step, like, okay, if I pray and then it doesn't work, then what I do, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's more what I'm getting at is I, right, I don't think we should look right. at it as if prayer doesn't work, then let's, let's go get some real help. I, I think that's a dangerous <laughs> way to look yes. at it. Yeah. So instead of looking at it as prayer, as the first step, prayer is the first step, but it's every step and, and you For build sure. from it. So think of it as like a pyramid with a foundation, you know, prayer is the foundation. And sometimes you just need that first layer and, and that is enough. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is something that will help to remedy whatever the thing is prayer and meditation and focus and spiritual encouragement and affirmations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that is it, but sometimes you need to move to the second level when, uh, when, when there is still a need after that. And then you keep on praying. Praying is still in process. It's not like you move on from prayer, right? The next step. Yeah then you pray into the next step. Then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, God, what now? Okay. If, if yeah. this, let's say it's an addiction and someone comes to you mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't know if I have a problem or if it's just a bad habit, but I right. just can't seem to stop drinking or, you know, mm-hmm. well, let's, let's look into this and let's, let's pray about it. And, you know, maybe that's all it takes is, Oh, I'm so glad that I have you mm-hmm. as an accountability partner. I'm right. able to kick this and I'm better now. But if that doesn't happen, then it's, then prayer is the next step to figure out the next step. I think, yeah, I think that's a really smart way to look at it, that every step you go into prayerfully. Yeah. And undergirding it with prayer and, and knowing Mm -hmm. that God is using, like, he's the one behind all of it. He's the giver of all of the gifts. He's the orchestrator of all of the, the healing in whatever way that comes, I think. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah, we're improving as a body, but still not improved in terms of the stigma and shame that can come from seeking help for your mental health, right? So I'm not going to feel ashamed if I get shot through the heart. I'm not going to be ashamed. Oh, no, prayer didn't work. I needed to go to the doctor. And, And yeah, sometimes mental health issues have spiritual components. Mental health issues definitely have spiritual consequences, right? We talk about that all the time. When you're not feeling well mentally, it's going to be harder to be focused in prayer and things like that. But that doesn't mean that a Christian is precluded from seeking out medical or therapeutic help when they, you know, when they require it. 
Yeah, definitely. Which, yeah, which leads us to the harder question is how do you know, right? Do I just need to pray? Do I need to talk to a doctor? Do I need to go to a therapist? Do I need medication? How do you know? Yeah. Well, when we were talking to, um, uh, we were, we were interviewing a couple, I'm trying to think of that. Yeah. That episode has already aired and I'll look it up so that I can reference it. Mm -hmm. But, um, but they are experts in the field of, um, anxiety and depression in children. And they, you know, made it very clear that, you know, if, if prayer and spiritual, uh, ministry is still leaving a void. If there's still something more that needs to be done, then counseling would be the next logical step because a counselor does not prescribe medication. A counselor doesn't do medical intervention per se. They talk and they are trained to be the ones Mm -hmm. to catch red flags, to catch things that might need further, uh, help or, and and so that's my understanding is the next step would probably be to find a counselor. And in my opinion, probably a counselor with a Christian background would be good. Um, but a counselor and Mm -hmm. that could maybe help with the next steps. Is that, are you in agreement with that as kind of an, yeah, definitely, you know, especially, you know, with your kids there, there for sure can be, um, some shame, like, oh, why does my kid need to see a counselor? I must have messed them up <laughs> or something. And no, you know, sometimes it's life and life stress. Sometimes it's hormonal changes. Sometimes it's like nobody says, oh, why does my kid need a friend? I'm, shouldn't I be a good enough friend for them? You know, like yeah. sometimes you just, you need other people in your life. Uh, so yeah, for sure. I would say if you're even remotely concerned that your child might be suffering from something like anxiety or depression, I would for sure talk to your doctor. Um, And they're hopefully going to have a nice arsenal of potential next steps based on your needs and things like that. I loved when uh, our church in Arizona, our pastor's wife, Christy, used to um, like regularly, she she and our pastor, Tim, would talk from the pulpit about the fact that they go to marriage counseling and that it was beneficial to their marriage because they believed that there was a stigma in the church, especially mm-hmm. that going to counseling meant that something was wrong. That there's a problem yeah. or, or that it was somehow not godly to have to mm-hmm. go to counseling to be yeah. able to work through things. And she was, you know, I think the same is true for counseling for addiction or mental health or anything. It is, there's a stigma that has to be removed that counseling is somehow not spiritual enough because (laughs) we know, and we always talk about this mind and body and spirit connection. That means that, you know, counseling is just one more tool that if it's something, you know, that, that God has given us. We just wanted to take a quick break to share about a sponsor of today's episode, faithful counseling. Let's face it. Life can be hard. It's so important to show up for yourself and your loved ones through all of the struggles life can bring. One way you can do this is by checking in regularly with a Christian therapist. We know not everyone has the time or the money for in-person therapy, but thanks to faithful counseling, Christian therapy can be accessible to anyone. You can speak to your counselor by video, phone, or text. Scheduling is so easy and financial aid is available. 
I recently started using faithful counseling myself, and I admit I had never been to a therapist, and I was kind of nervous about the process. But I was shocked at how easy it was to get started, how convenient it is to communicate with my counselor, and how easy she is to talk to. We would love for you to find out for yourself how beneficial Christian counseling can be. So our sponsor, Faithful Counseling, is offering you 10% off your first month when you use our special link at faithfulcounseling.com slash praying. There are counselors who've been gifted by God with insight and wisdom and mm-hmm. um, discernment and not only that, but trained in their, in yeah. their, yeah. So anyway, uh, I just think, yeah, that, that counseling definitely in addition to medication and medical intervention, that, that first step of counseling also has a stigma attached to it at times. Yeah, I think that there is absolutely a place for counseling. I think that we should be working to reduce the stigma involved there. You know, no Christian's going to be ashamed for going to the auto mechanic to switch over their tires, right? I mean, unless you're you're the kind of guy who's like expected to do it yourself. But in general, you and I, we don't feel ashamed if something's wrong. You know, if your plumbing breaks, you're not ashamed to call a plumber. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes there are very obvious physiological reasons for some of our mental health struggles. If you're not sleeping well, if you're vitamin deficient, you know, all of these things. And so whether you're treating, yeah, you need to find, and this is where I think discernment comes in. If the core of the issue is spiritual, then the cure should be spiritually focused, right? If, if you are depressed, let's say, because you're harboring bitterness and you're mad at God because of X, Y, or Z, that's a spiritual issue for you to address. If you're anxious because you have heart palpitations and that makes you terrified and feel like you're about to have a heart attack, that is a physiological issue that can be addressed. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to come here and talk about these things from a standpoint of, yeah, let's let's get rid of the stigma. I've been on antidepressants on and off since I was in college. And there are times where um, I can see such a night and day difference. And people who have never struggled with that might say, oh, well, it's a crutch. She should be, you know, the, the antidepressants are just keeping her from having to deal with whatever's making her depressed. No, they're actually helping me deal with life better <laughs> because at my lowest, I'm not dealing with anything. Um, Another thing that I think is important to talk about is just the, the impact of chronic stress. Who is the missionary from China who helped all of the kids during the Japanese invasion? Is that Lottie? Amy, was it Mm -hmm. Amy or is it Lottie Moon? I think it might be Lottie Moon, but there's, there's this story and just amazing woman and it was during a war between China and Japan and she was single-handedly, she was the only adult responsible for helping almost like a hundred kids. If I remember the story, right, get to safety and she did it. And then she had a mental breakdown and it's terrible and it's tragic 
And what's even more tragic is that some Christians are going to wag their fingers and say, oh, well, you should have prayed more. Mm-hmm. And no, like you try getting like bombs dropping by where you're sleeping. You try being the only adult responsible for the survival of helpless children and not come away with that, with, you know, some mental illness and things to resolve. So yeah, I think it was that's another, I just double checked. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think about Elijah, there's, uh, I was just going to talk about him because yeah, yeah. <laughs> clinical depression, right? <laughs> Noah driven to drink. <laughs> and, you know, and for Elijah, God's recourse, it wasn't to shame him for not praying harder. It was to sleep and to eat, yeah. right? Like it, his issue was being addressed from the physical components, good nutrition, good sleep, taking time off. So that's Mm -hmm. another thing to think of. I used to have this fallacy in my mind that a Christian in a stressful position of ministry should be immune from, not necessarily from the stress, but they should be immune from any negative consequences from that stress. Because if God calls you to do it, he's going to help you through it. But, you know, your, your, I think, there's a way that we can look at this in a very humble way. Our physical bodies are only capable of so much, yeah. right? Our brains are only capable of so much. Lottie's body and brain were only capable of so much. And yeah, I'm sure that there was supernatural power that allowed her to get to where she got to, but eventually, yeah, she had a crash. Other people in ministry have these, you know, sometimes it gets to a crisis point and I think, Hey, let's start addressing things if we can, before they even get to a crisis. And the way to do that is like, I love what your, your pastor and his wife did to normalize things like counseling or medication, or just talking openly about some of the struggles we have. Yeah. Well, how would someone know when they need to move into the realm of counseling from like, as that first step from prayer. Yeah. Well, well I you know can, what? before yeah. we do that, let's, can we start with what does it look like to come alongside someone in prayer when, when they're mm. struggling or for you as a Christian to engage in prayer or to get someone, what would the, what would the prayer section look like? The first mm-hmm. step of praying look like, and then how, do you know if something more needs to be done? Yeah. So I'll talk about it from the depression side of it, just since Mm -hmm. that's my uh, medical or mental illness du jour Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what I'm the most familiar with. So for me, if, if I'm in a low spot, the way that somebody like you as my best friend and prayer partner could come alongside it, you know, it would be the offers to pray. I think you've never, ever done this. So I'm not saying that you have it. Be careful that you're not doing like those sermonizing prayers, <laughs> you know, um, and I think, I think praying to get to the root is a really good thing. And and you and mm-hmm. I have done this before. Is this hormones? Is this vitamins? Is this a spiritual attack? Is this the fact that, you know, we're getting older and more tired, right? Mm-hmm. So prayers for kind of just guidance, like God, show show me where this is coming from and show me some positive next steps. But to do so always with a lot of grace, I mm-hmm. think is the biggest thing. Because if somebody has this fear that they're going to come to you and say, I've been really, really depressed. I would love your prayers. If they're worried that they're going to get like a sermon back from you, <laughs> that's probably in most cases not going to be conducive to the open kind of vulnerable sharing that we want. Yeah. 
Well, in my experience, um, several years ago, I went through, I had never um, really had any acute anxiety. I, mm-hmm. I, you could call me a worrier sometimes, you know, especially mm-hmm. after I had kids, but I had this, uh, what I now believe was like, sort of like a hormonal driven because of the age that I'm at, <laughs> I'm at that magical age of my mid forties, but, um, but I believe it was hormonally and vitamin imbalance driven. But at the time I had no idea what was happening. And I, it began with, with fears about my daughter and, and a food allergy that she had. And my heart would race. I would have these just panic attacks. And it got to the point where, um, I mean, I believe I should have gone to the doctor right away and, and just said, Hey, this is what's happening. Help me. But I didn't, I was ashamed because I felt like there was no real reason for me to be anxious. And so it, it, it basically spiraled into some very ugliness. And, um, I ended up for me personally, um, I, I talked to you about it and you prayed and that was very much an anchor for me was our prayer times. Um, and it got to the point where there was one night that I went to a, a life group meeting with some of our members of our church and I couldn't stay in that situation. I just was so anxious and I went for a walk. It was middle of the winter and I was like going for a walk around the, or walk it, walk around the church just to be able to breathe. And like, so that night it was, it had kind of come to a head and I, I went to my husband and I was like, he knew I was struggling. I don't know if he understood the extent of it, but, um, but I just said, I need you to pray for me. I need you to take authority over the enemy. I need you to pray mm-hmm. for me because I did believe that there was a spiritual component, but I also believed it was more than that too. Yeah. Um, but something shifted in that prayer for me mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of kind of a coming out of, but there were lots of other things. I did go to the doctor. Um, I did start taking vitamins on my own cause I suspected it was hormonal mm-hmm. and vitamin mm-hmm. issues. So I had some, you know, dietary things that I did and exercise and yeah. I never did go on medication, but, um, but that first step, if that prayer, like the, those prayers that I was asking for from, from mm-hmm. like the two of you were, were two yeah. of the few, I had a few people else that knew mm-hmm. and were praying, but mm-hmm. if those prayers had not, um, gotten, if, if everything had just kind of stayed the same and I was yeah. not seeing victory after that, mm-hmm. even gradual improvement, um, then, you know, that, that to me would have been definitely the the flag that it was time for a next step and and to get counseling. Yeah. Sometimes you can give yourself like a time frame. Like I know at one point I basically made a promise with myself. I'm like one more week where you have at least four out of the seven are just terrible days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then you're going to go talk to the doctor, right? Sometimes you can do, um, give it a little bit of time, right? like you almost get hit by a school bus and your heart's racing. You probably don't need to call a doctor to get on anxiety (laughs) meds. Right. But if something happens every single day and you realize like 40 minutes out of every day for a week, you're in panic mode, maybe it's time to at least talk to them about possible next steps. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to go on medication. Sometimes it can be a vitamin thing. Although I'm the opposite vitamin, which vitamin is it? Vitamin B makes me really anxious. Oh. And so, like that's one reason why, especially from the anxiety standpoint, 
it's all physical. So I have no guilt or shame about yeah. feeling anxious because I know, like, I know that when my body's working right, I don't struggle with anxiety. And so when mm-hmm. I'm starting to get really, really anxious, my go-to is, you know, what did I eat? Or <laughs> like, what did I change in my supplements? And yeah. so, yeah, looking at, looking at all of those things, I think some of it comes down to being kind of mindful. I started this new way of just tracking my energy levels where you basically, you just give yourself a score one through five. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how good do you feel right now? And look at trends. So the way I did, I just had a note card and three times a day, like breakfast, afternoon and evening sometime, you just ask yourself, okay, over the past couple hours, what's the average energy level or mood level? And sometimes even just being aware of that can help because you know how sometimes like you don't realize how exhausted you are until you catch up on sleep or you don't realize how depleted you are until you catch up on your vitamins or something. So Mm -hmm. being able to be a little bit more methodical about, Hey, how am I doing? And that way you can see some of those trends I think can also be, be just a good way to take care of yourself. Yeah. Well, and if you're someone on the other side of it, if you're someone that wants to support someone that is struggling with emotional or, you know, emotional trauma, or if they're struggling with anxiety or depression, sometimes the person like doesn't let on and you wouldn't even know. So Mm -hmm. how do we handle that as friends? How do we handle that as, or on the other side, how do we handle that? Like, like, do we need to set up a system like, okay, you need to have a signal so that I know that you're struggling or, you know, how, yeah. how does that, how should we handle that? Because- that is a hard one because like, I, I talk to you about deeper things than anybody else other than my husband. And, and even so like in the midst, it would be really hard. Like when I'm at my lowest bottom, honestly, between you and me, how it comes out is like a week later, I'll be like, yeah, Jamie, last week was terrible. That's always what it is. It's always after the fact. And I've had other friends where it's the same thing and I feel terrible. I'm like, I didn't know. Like, how? And yeah. And yeah. I think a, a huge part of that is because when you're at that lowest, mm-hmm. it's really, I don't want to say impossible, but you know, whatever one step above impossible is, it's, it's very hard to articulate your needs at that moment. Right. Um, so one way you could do is like a general checkup. Hey, how's your mood been in general? Just almost, almost like, you know, you and I are in the habit of how can I pray for you? Like almost including that in that check-in. So it becomes more oh, normal, right. could be good. Or, you know, the one other thing, um, going back to your question, just like how to support somebody in general going through that. I think sometimes we get really uncomfortable with like sadness or grief. And we, we just want to slap on the Romans eight twenty eight bandaid. Like we just mm-hmm. want to, like, if I just had one verse to make somebody stop being sad and sure, we would all love it. If one verse could make us all stop being sad, but it's not really how it works. And the way that often it's portrayed is I don't know how to handle what you're going through right now. So let me throw a Bible verse at you. And then if you're not feeling better, it's your fault. Yeah. So just be, be a little bit careful about the way. I mean, I think there's absolutely a place for encouragement from scripture, but you know, look at the Psalms and how many of them are Psalms of lament. Like it's, it's also okay to just be at a place of sadness for, for a time. Yeah, I know. I always feel like 
with anyone that I'm in a relationship with at all, that I have a responsibility to make them happy or make them Mm -hmm. or make right, whatever. And I think understanding that that is not our calling and that sometimes just being still with someone or listening or saying, I'm sorry, you're going through this and I'm here, but, but not trying to add that tag on better. I know let's lighten the mood. You know, I, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. It's almost like you and I aren't quite to that point, but give it a couple of years. Like when you're, when your teen has their first heartbreak, you know, mm-hmm. and like truly you can't fix it. Mm-hmm. You, there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to make them snap out of it and be happy. You just have to be there, you know, like Job's friends in a way, mm-hmm. just be there with somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although distractions can be good too. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. you know, and I think that's part of being a good friend, you know, asking what you need. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to just look at funny dog videos and laugh to get your mind off it? Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and over the course of a, a depressive episode or over the course of a grieving period, there's going to be time for both of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anything else that you want to add? Um, I wanted to add just as you know, you did a disclaimer at the beginning and I'm going to do one at the end. If you do, um, if you're, if you're needing immediate help, there is a crisis text line. It's NAMI, N-A-M-I, and you can text N-A-M-I to 741-741 and you can be connected immediately to a trained crisis counselor. So if you are in a crisis, if you're feeling like you need to talk to someone immediately, you can do that. And NAMI um, the, the website NAMI.org is a great website for mental health resources and things. If you are not in a crisis, but you want to learn more about how to support someone, um, or a child or a family member or friend, um, then you can go to NAMI.org and that's a great resource. Awesome. The one other thing that I wanted to, I think we kind of skirted around it, but just so that we say it clearly, this question of, okay, do I need therapy? Do I need medicine? Do I need prayer? I think that we, you know, we talked about prayer being the first step and part of every step, but I think especially prayers for discernment is going to really help you in that area. You know, ask God, he's, he's familiar with your mind, soul, and body. So he's going to have the right steps for you to take. So I think that that would be a great prayers. Help me to know how to get more help. And maybe that is praying more, reading your Bible more, addressing the spiritual side of things, talking to your pastor, getting an accountability partner, or maybe it's calling up your doctor uh, or getting a counselor. There's, there's lots of options. And as part of the conversation, I'm so glad we talked about, you know, how to be a good friend, how to come alongside somebody. And we talked about this from a church leadership standpoint, but let's talk about it from a friendship standpoint too know when something gets beyond what you are able to help someone through, right? Um, That's why these extra resources exist because we're not all competent and trained to handle actual mental health crises. And so sometimes we'll need to know when it's time to just be a friend and be with somebody and when it's time to encourage them to get help from someone with more expertise in that area. Yeah, sounds good. 
Great. Well, again, if you're interested in suggesting a topic for our Coffee Break episodes, you can send those to us at prayingchristianwomen.com slash questions. All right. Well, do we want to close in prayer for? Let's our, do it. For yeah. For, you want to do uh, that? Yeah, I will do that. All right. God, we just lift up this time to you and pray that you'd be glorified in it. And we just lift up everyone listening. We all have struggles. We all know people that are struggling. I'm sure there's not a person listening that hasn't been touched by either addiction or mental illness in some way in their lives and in the lives of the people around them. Father, we just pray that your power would, uh, would just descend on each person struggling. Now, God, I just pray for each of us as, um, the members of the body of Christ, that you would help us to turn to prayer in every step of, of our own journey with, with mental illness or addiction or our journeys, helping others coming alongside them, that prayer would always be the first and, and like the backbone response in, in the whole process of seeking help and offering help. We know that you are the giver. You're the giver of every good gift. You're the healer, the great physician, and you're the provider. And we just thank you for that and acknowledge you as that. I lift up Griselda and I just pray that we addressed all of the questions that she had. Um, and I just pray for her and whatever her journey looks like and, and whatever the root of this question was that God, you would minister to her, that you would give her wisdom, that you would give her hope and joy and, and just meet with her in whatever it is that, that she's walking through right now in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.